Hello and welcome back, or welcome to Thought Leaders, Future Shapers, a podcast brought to you by Committee for Ballarat, and we aim to inspire diverse thought leadership to unlock potential. I'm Michael Poulton, CEO for Committee for Ballarat, and am privileged to hear the amazing stories of leadership and innovation in our work with members every day of the week. This podcast is a chance to share those stories more broadly in a setting that allows you to listen when it suits you. Each episode will feature an inspiring thought leader future shaper, and I can't wait to share their stories with you. Proudly, our podcast partner, Runway Ballarat, are also passionate about the stories of leadership, innovation, hustle, and ingenuity through their work fostering business startups and promoting collaboration. Thought Leaders Future Shapers is recorded right here in Ballarat in Runway's podcast studio. Before we start, I acknowledge that we are recording today's podcast on the traditional lands of the Wathaurong people. I welcome all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who might be joining us today and I pay my respects to their Elders past, present and emerging. Today I'm joined by the Director of Nicholson Construction, Richard Nicholson. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Michael. Pleased to be here. Very good to have you. And we are today in the Flecknoe building, which is one of Nicholson Construction's buildings, and with Runway Ballarat. So we thank them for their support, and we look forward to our conversation today. Richard, I wonder, maybe just tell us a bit about the the organisation as it sits today. Sure, yeah. Um, Nicholson Construction, we've got offices here in Ballarat, uh, Bendigo, a team down in Geelong, and another in Warrnambool. Um, I guess we're... We're regional builders, Michael. Um, we, we, we like that, uh, um, you know, building relationships with our stakeholders, um, be they clients, subcontractors, suppliers, um, and we just like living in the communities that we build. Um, we do build in Metro Melbourne as well, because um, our clients often ask us down there, which it's a pleasure to go down there and service them. So um, we turn over about 130 million per year. We've got about 70 employees. We're about 70% government, 30% private clients. Um, don't do any residential work. It's all commercial, industrial work. Um, and, um, yeah, as I said, we focus really on the regional construction and and, um, and and building partnerships and relationships with our stakeholders. Well, look, that's a good uh, a good one for us to pursue because you're a, you're a great Ballarat company. You've got a great reputation in town, but there's also a significant history in relation to Nicholson Construction. Can you perhaps take us back a few steps and, uh, and tell us about where the, where the company has come from and where its roots might have been? Our family first moved to Ballarat back in 1858, so not long after Eureka, um, which is interesting. Um, interesting for me anyway. Uh, the building, that was the second generation that started the actual building company. It was my great-grandfather who formed a business with his brother. Great-grandfather was a bricklayer and, and, and his brother was a, was a builder. And uh, they started... Um, building homes around Ballarat. Um, did have a short period of time where they actually moved across to New Zealand. Um, that was at the end of the 1890s when the property recession kicked in um, over here. And um, they lived there for about four years. That was where my grandfather was born over there. Sir Arthur was born in Wellington. They came back in about 1905 and, um, and took up building again from that point on. And um, uh, in the 1920s, my grandfather had come of age. He joined the business, um, and right through the sort of the 20s and 30s, we essentially focused on housing. The 40s came after the war. There were lots of um, 
government projects around for, for the stimulus reasons. And um, so we built hundreds and hundreds of soldier settlement homes all around the district and started to sort of progress into con uh, more commercial work. Um, so churches, um, you know, some aged care, um, that kind of really smaller commercial scale. In the 50s, my father joined the company and, um, and he took it further along the commercial um, sense. And in the 70s, I guess the pinnacle project that we delivered was the, uh, was the glass house um, in Mare Street there. And that was opened, I think, in about 78. Um, and then I joined the firm in the 90s. Um, in about mid 90, uh, mid, uh, 96 it was when I joined. And um, when, I, when I joined the firm, uh, a good friend of mine, Dean Stevens, was, was already working with the company and had been for about five or six years at that point. And um, we hatched a plan for you know, the future of A.W. Nicholson and um, we've been living that dream, I guess, ever since, 20, 23 years ago. And um, um, Dean actually bought half the company in mid-2000, 2006, and um, together we've sort of put 400% growth in the company. And, and yeah, as I said, now we've got about 70 employees and building right across Victoria. So, yeah, it's a very proud of the story. It's a fascinating mm. story. I, I can't help but notice, and you almost threw it away, that it was uh, Sir Arthur. Y yes, yes. Um, Sir Arthur was, a, was, an, amazing, was an amazing person. Um, I did know my great-grandfather. Uh, his father was Arthur, so I did, I did meet him. So I'm pleased to say that I've met all four generations. In fact, I'm one of them. But um, um, I did meet Arthur. But, yeah, Sir Arthur was a, was a wonderful person. He, um, he, he was a tremendous businessman but also a tremendous um, civic person and um, how he put all of his civic duties together with the business, I, the, the family continued to scratch our heads. But he was knighted for his um, uh, for his endeavours and, um, yeah, we're very very proud of Sir Arthur. Look, it's a wonderful story and certainly a fourth generation is, mm. is significant in itself. Can you perhaps um, suggest to us or give us any thoughts about where some of your early inspirations might have come from? I guess it's really been around... Um, the capability of the company and what and, and the contacts that we've had. Um, you know, building construction industry is not an easy industry to survive in, and, and I don't mean to say that any industry is easy. Business is tricky all around. But I, I guess, um, you know, when I first came back in 96 and joined the company, I, I kind of observed what the company was doing at the time and just saw opportunities where we can improve and do better and deliver bigger projects and, and, and you know, grow our staff and enhance their capability. And um, I guess that's where it all started and, and the dreams start at that point and you look at the financial side of it and you say, how are you going to fund that growth? And that was a big challenge through, through the early days. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I guess there's something, something deep in your chest which says, that's the case. That's where I expect to be, um, and I don't know what drives yeah, that. It's a great I, I quality. It's a great quality. Well, yeah, yeah thanks. Um, I think it's. I think it's in all of us to a degree. You know, to, to different varying degrees, and, and not saying it's in me any more than it is in anyone else. But I think it's in all of us when we get something that we're passionate about. Yeah. And I'm going to come to something you're passionate about, and one of those uh, mm. big projects that you speak about in the moment. But if I think about what you've just said there in terms of doing things better and doing things well and, and how do we improve, 
do you get frustrated when you see the building industry uh, at times maligned because shortcuts are taken and we are looking to maximise per foot of land rather than quality? Does that frustrate you? It does, yeah. It does, and, and no doubt it frustrates everybody. Um, but it's a double-edged sword in many respects. Um, you, you know, you could argue and say, how do you weed out, um, you know, people or companies taking shortcuts and delivering, you know, substandard quality projects? It's two ways. There's competition or there's regulation. Um, and, and, you know, regulation is, is one side of the sword and, and free market competition's the other. Um, my clients are 70% government, so I, 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 I certainly have deep respect for the government, but at the same time, regulation stifles innovation mm. and can stifle um, opportunity. Um, and so in that respect, you know, regulating the, uh, the, the sort of the substandard builders out of the industry is not an easy, it's tough, to it's tough to do, it's very tough to do. And, and I guess, you know, that's where reputation comes into it. That's where, dare I say marketing, but marketing builds your reputation. But marketing and reputation is just so important. You and, can't have one without the other. Well, you can't, and it takes years to build a, a reputation that, um, that, that really stands the test of time because not all things go well all the time, um, you know, and been in situations where I've made blunders myself, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, the quality of the person, the quality of the company, the quality of the staff that you have carries you through those challenging times. Richard, there's a little building in town called GovHub. Impossible to hide now. Um, what a uh, remarkable structure it continues to be. What impact do you think GovHub is going to have on the CBD particularly? Yeah, look, there's change happening in the CBD and, and, and in particular the North CBD already. Um, and that, that really came in advance even of um, before the, the GovHub started. Um, I don't think there'll be a fundamental shift in how we live and interact um, in and around the CBD, but no doubt we're seeing that change. We're seeing investment not only on the Civic Hall site where we are, but in the Civic Hall itself with the council, courtesy of the council. Um, the library, I know, has plans to do some more development. Um, and But then you've only got to look around across the road and you, we, we see the shops being developed and, and there's change taking place. and. That to me is is very exciting. Um, <clears throat> change can be very challenging for some too, um, and and I appreciate that and understand that. Um, you know, I, it's it's can be difficult to accept. And I guess that could be around you know a sense of loss of the old and of what was, and perhaps how things were. But you know, I kind of think change in 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 a built form particularly is probably more around. I don't know what's changing and I'm not in control of what's changing and therefore that probably is what drives the fear that people have. But um, look, you know, the GovHub, it'll bring people and people bring life, they bring excitement and, um, and you know, that's all the things that Council and, and RDV and, and uh, Committee for Ballarat and so many other organisations are trying to do and you know, bring life back to the mall. Well, this will bring life back to the north part of the CBD. And, you know, when 600 new people 
work there. New 600 will hold a thousand people, but when 600 new people come and start working in that area, wow, we're going to see, you know, activity like we haven't seen um, for many, many years. So it's exciting. Richard, we're doing a podcast here and it's hard to uh, for our listeners to see the animation in your face, but when you speak of that, I see it. Um, I'm interested in the, the, the impact it's had on you, that you're building an iconic building. You're building an iconic building in a town that's known for its iconic buildings. You know the impact of this iconic building as you've just described it to us. How does that sit with you? Oh, well, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a great honour to be building it. Uh, um, it. It's thrilling. It's, it really is. It's, I mean, it's the biggest project that I've been uh, involved with and our company's done in, in certainly in my time um, in the company. So that's very exciting from that respect. Um, thinking about how it fits in regards to the, to the town, um, it's hard not to be thinking about that. And particularly when, uh, you know, you go out at night and people are, you know, Jesus, oh, jump up yeah. looking like this, you know. <laughs> Um, and it is pretty big now. It's it's mm. um, it's it's got to a it's got to a fair size. Um, the design w- was was undertaken by John Wardle Architects, and um, and 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 you know they um, issued some three D perspectives right in the very beginning, which we're, I think we're all very familiar with. We've all seen the banners and so forth, which they're on. Um, in some way, that really did paint the grand scale of what the building was going to be. As it's come to life and you actually see it in the proper perspective of the town, I actually think it's got it's sitting far more comfortably than what any of those 3D perspectives ever really showed. Um, it's a big building. There's no denying that. Um, driving down Criswick Road, you do you start to realise and appreciate just the scale of, of the building. But to me, that's very exciting. Um, I, I do have the privilege of walking the floors of the building regularly and, um, you know, the views from the, the top top levels and upper floors are really, truly Fantastic. spectacular. Yes. Um, you know, I think we've all seen great photos of Ballarat and particularly Bardwell's photo taken at the top of the town hall, the, yes. the, the, yep. the panorama shot. And, you know, when you stand up on top of this building at GovHub, you know, it really isn't that much different. Okay, no horses. Uh, there's cars instead of horses, and the streets are a lot more are busier in that respect. But, but the buildings themselves are very much the same. And and what really comes through in that is the brickwork, the red brick that stands in nearly every one of our old heritage buildings. And um, um, you know that is a key theme that the GovHub building has. Um, and you know, full credit to John Wardells in um, when they designed this, they took various cues from materials and lines from the buildings in and around Ballarat and, um, and you know, incorporated them into the building. So, yeah, I, look, I think it fits, I think it fits very well. Um, I'm tremendously proud of the building. Um, you know, it may not be everyone's cup of tea in terms of the design, but it is iconic and, 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 and you know, I'm particularly excited about the sustainability aspects of it as well. So the timber structure, largest timber structure in regional Victoria, the five-star green star rating, the four-and-a-half-star neighbours energy rating. Um, I mean, this is this is the future of the building. This reflects Ballarat's coming of age uh, and, and, and the embodiment that the city's ready and open for, for new innovation and the highest standards of construction that we can deliver. And, you know, I hope... People really embrace that 
um, and embrace bigger buildings and particularly taller buildings. Mm. And um, you know, I'd love to see multi-storey buildings in, in Ballarat, and I think there's scope for that, certainly east of Lydiate Street. Um, so, you know, I'm, I am definitely all about protecting the heritage, um, you know, the, 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 the whole vista between Dana and Iyer Street, right up that beautiful boulevard of mm. Sturt Street, which is just, you know, it's just world-beating. Um, that's something that we all have a duty to, to protect and promote. And the built environment can complement that and always has. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And I think we're seeing that in the GovHub, how well it sits next yeah. to the Civic Hall yeah. as well. And I'm, I'm hearing comments, I'm interested in people's thoughts, hearing comments around town about just how well, they're nothing like each other, but the two kind sit of sit well. comfortably yeah. beside yeah. each other. You mentioned and that's credit to JWR Architects. Yes, you, so. you mentioned before change. And I think one of the things about change is that when people don't feel they're a part of change, they can be challenged by it, they're threatened by it, um, they object to it. When people are a part of change, when they're actually part of the process of change, they can actually be inspired by it and excited by it. So I'm curious around how you as a company has gone about bringing Ballarat along in the journey with you in building this particular building, because we have been a part of that change that, uh, that you are very much leading. Mm, I'm pleased to hear that because that was... It was an important objective, not not just of ours, but certainly Development Victoria, who were the lead agency on the on the project, and also um, Regional Development Victoria, um, and also the council, um, you know, City of Ballarat. Um, there's always been this desire to 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 bring people along the journey and not sort of conceal it behind um, full height hoardings and 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 do a big reveal at the end of the project. Um, how have we done that? I guess through um, you know social media, through um, you know, public briefing sessions. We've um, you know I've personally taken tour groups through uh, the building. We've um, been on radio. We've 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 um, you know one of the own initiatives from Kane Nicholson is uh, is that we produce. About, about every six weeks we produce an update on um, how progress is going on the site and that's posted on YouTube. Um, so, you know, lots of various angles because people, you know, consume media at different ways um, and, and we've been really sort of pleased with the response that we've been able to get and that sort of inspires people to ask more questions and look, we're happy to share it. It's nothing to hide. It's, it's The whole journey is exciting. And I think that uh, comment you made about not hiding behind hoardings, that uh, often that was the way, certainly my memories of new buildings being built in Melbourne, was you never you never saw what they were about. Um, you've been very open. It's hard not to be because it's a very big building in the middle of town. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of exposure has been something that people have been able to enjoy um, appear before their very eyes. What do we expect in the next month? Oh, in the next month, well, you know, the roof's well underway. Um, and the uh, the glass facades are now up on each end of the building. So, getting very close to um, what we call lock up, um, waterproof. So now it's fit out. Now it's it's going um, you know full on to to fit the building out. We're well and truly right through the the rough end phase for the um, services and so forth. So now it's ceilings, um, plastering walls, and um, you know not far off. You know, starting to lay carpet and starting to put paint on the walls. It's it's coming it's along. Getting that close, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and commissioning the commissioning process is actually a long process. It's about three months to commission a building. Right. So, because of the 
the five star green star and the four and a half star neighbours energy rating. That's there's quite a uh, complex process to uh, actually commission the building, which does yeah take that two to three month period. So that's balancing air conditioning systems and uh, and power generation from the solar and the recycled water that we use and getting all of that. Um, ready for occupation um, in, in in April next year when the government start moving in. Mm. Richard, there's so much we could talk about. Um, I want to keep moving on a few things, but Nicholson is, but you've you've delivered a diverse range of buildings um, over four generations. Um, but in, in terms of your time since the late 70s, um, you, sorry, through your time in terms of where you've been as director, what, what are some of the buildings that you're most proud of and, and why would that be? There's been lots, uh, for sure, and and it's really hard to um, it's really hard to think of a project. Uh, I mean, we're sitting in one now as I'm looking around. Very proud of the proud of the it's the, a great the space work the, that the team have building. done. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's the second time we've renovated this building too. We did it back in the late seventies as well. So um, yeah, um, I don't know if I can say that there's one specific project. There there really are many. Um, Probably the restoration projects are the ones that I really feel quite attached to. Um, you know, we did the Ballarat Town Hall facade, we did the Maya facade, uh, Her Majesty's Theatre, which is finished, the Soldiers Memorial Building in Bendigo, um, the TNG Building in Geelong. Um, you know, the glorious Victorian buildings, um, which I just feel really proud to have played a part in bringing them back to life and knowing that really for the next 50 years they don't need any maintenance apart from paint and internally. Um, I feel very proud of them. Uh, I guess locally, um, very proud of the, the 50 metre swimming pool in Gilly Street, uh, <laughs> Mars Stadium, that was a project that we yes. did with our partners, Atelier Projects, um, the Hepburn Spa Bathhouse um, all those years ago back in Hepburn, that was that was great. Um, there was, and there's a little one actually um, in Casterton, um, or it's called the Australian Kelpie Centre, and uh, it's a great, great-looking building, and it's not large, and, and I guess it's not about the size of the building mm. or necessarily the, the the heroics of the building. It's really about the people, and and you know, whilst we will always remember the challenges that we overcame to deliver that project, it's it's. It's a, the reaction that we receive from our clients and the occupants of the building that really, you know, sink in and, and mean something to you to to wander through a building and just see the occupants smiling and the opportunity that they see from a new building and moving in and, and, and the excitement that they have in their eyes. Mm. They can do something new in this building. That's that's the bit that really. I asked you earlier about some of the influences and uh, they're certainly a driver, isn't it? Yeah. That, uh, the driver in the client, the driver in the people who actually live and breathe and work in those buildings. Um, you've perhaps answered the next question, but maybe to take it a bit further is this sense of legacy and, and the impact that your buildings can have. So is there, a, is there a legacy that you'd like to be able to leave in, in terms of your work, your company's work in this town? <laughs> good, good question. Um, look, I'm very, no doubt very proud of the buildings that we've done and the work that the company's done. Um, um, but in, in, in many sense, Michael, and maybe I'll surprise you when I say I'm, I'm really quite pragmatic about um, buildings once they've reached their 
kind of end of life or nearing their their use by date, yeah. Um, You know, to me, a building is secondary. It's the need of the people which drives the need for a building. So whatever that purpose is, build the building for that purpose. Um, When that purpose is, you know, not relevant or inefficient, um, then I don't have any issue demolishing the building and, and rebuilding something that is. Um, you know, the cost to retrofit buildings is just immense. In disabled access, lifts, ramps, fire protection, security, you know, and that's putting aside all the inefficiency, energy efficiencies that, that we have in today's buildings compared to the old ones. Um, it's an immense cost and I don't always necessarily subscribe that that's the most efficient use of limited resources. It's not saying that I just want to go and smash down buildings. Sure, I yeah, don't. We're not I doing that now. But um, I certainly am a little more pragmatic around, you know, if the building's reaching its end of life, then it's time. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned the glass house before and mm. I don't know if I'd have too many people say to me it's time that building was was perhaps partially demolished or indeed fully demolished and, and rebuilt or converted into something that that is perhaps more, um, you know, better fit for purpose. You know, and that might yeah. be multi-storey accommodation or something. And um, I'd, I'd be sad to see it go, but that's, that's life. Mm. I mean, that's change and I accept that. Well, if we were to not accept change, then we'd still be buildings the way still be building buildings the way we might have back in the eighteen hundreds and the in the nineteen hundreds. So I guess every built environment reflects its era. Yes, it does. Some of those last generations, mm. but we shouldn't stop the purpose of the new era correct. just because yeah, that correct. was good in the past. Yeah, correct. Yeah. That's exactly right. Richard, um, let's wind the clock forward. Let's say another twenty years. Ballarat's looking at a population of potentially two hundred thousand plus people. What opportunities do you see for a town like ours? We are here about uh, thought leaders and future shapers. What opportunities do you see about a town a size like 200,000? And what are the things you'd like to avoid? Well, look, look, I'm excited for what the town brings. I mean, Ballarat's it's a fantastic town and, and, and I think it will. I'm totally confident that it will continue to grow and evolve and develop um, in the years ahead. Um, there will be challenges and, you know, as a community, we have the responsibility to address those challenges, you know, starting now. 2040 is not that far away. It's not. I've been here 50 years. That's only (laughs) 20 years. So, you know, really, in essence, I don't see there will be a tremendous change by the time 2040 comes along. And I know that's the projections where we're we're forecasting 200,000 people. Um, It's really about planning for it and, you know, thinking back to the history um, of Ballarat, um, you know, William Urquhart, the surveyor, was was called to Ballarat in 1851, not long after gold was first discovered, and he laid out the the streets and the town planning and how well it served us mm. ever since, and yes. still is. Um, you know, to me, that's uh, is a classic example of you know good planning, and you know he he was thinking long long term. You know, the boulevards, the widths of the streets that he put in town, he he had a grand vision and. You know, that's. I think there are groups and people in Ballarat who have that grand vision for the future, and and um, you know, if we can all get together and and sort of extract some of those good ideas, then you know, it's it's um, there's real opportunity. Um, 
activating the heart of the town is and with people I think is a big part of what our future success will be. You know, they, in my view, people need to, to live in the town and, and not have to travel to the outskirts every day. Um, I think in terms of our opportunities, uh, Melbourne is our greatest asset. It's it's less than an hour down the road by uh, road or rail. Um, and then to the south is Geelong and to the north is Bendigo. And if we can establish connections between all those towns, and I know the committee is, is, is certainly pushing for that, then um, you know, build connections with those towns encourage sharing knowledge and, and resources and trades. And if you've got if we've got the opportunity to live in Ballarat, work in Melbourne or Geelong or Bendigo, um, then you know, we're all the more richer for it, and no doubt about it. So I think there's some great opportunities there. You're talking physical connections and uh, you're talking about our town. We're looking at what the future of the town might look like and advice to planners along those lines. Could you do you have any thoughts about how you'd like to see our community? sort of some of the things beyond the physical connections, the social connections, the mm. way that people interact, the environment mm. we live in. How do we have any thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, community in Ballarat has always been very, very strong. Um, and, you know, I referenced my grandfather all those years ago and I guess that was where I took the, the lead as a very young person, understanding just the benefits that you get back in return from from giving to the community, and and um, and I'm just one person, and he was one person. That, that you know, there are hundreds of not-for-profit groups in the community who help advance this this wonderful town of ours, and I think that's very very important. Um, one of the, I guess, one of the fears I have um, is the potential or the potential, the, the growing expectation of the community that government will solve all of our problems. And we've all seen you know, government grow over the years and been party to that and we've, we've seen the growth in government departments and you know, permits, licences, um, registrations and identity cards are all you know the, the way of the world now. Um, but in essence, I, I'm not convinced that government can deliver the solutions to all of our problems. They just can't. It's not their remit for starters. And, and they have to think in broad terms. And, and yet our community groups can think far more focused and, and, and address um, an issue that's, that is um, you know, far more relevant to, to the community that we're living in. Um, and, you know, when I think about volunteerism um, in Ballarat in particular, um, you know, it's been um, really largely built on the back of passionate people. Um, mm. and, and, you know, a good example of that is, uh, you know, the Eureka Uprising back right back in 1854 when Peter Layla and his mates decided they weren't, you know, they weren't happy with the, the situation as it was. And, um, you know, volunteerism has continued on from that. And you, you think about um, things like the Avenue of Honour and the Arch of Victory um, and the Lucas Girls. Sovereign Hill, uh, the Botanical Gardens and the Stoddard statues, South Street, Begonia Festival, um, and even more recently, you know, the Swap Meet, Spring Fest, um, the Feckery bike ride, and indeed even Feckery itself, all of that created by volunteers. Um, and, you know, we've, 
as I said before, we've got a broad range of community groups here reflecting, you know, religions, multicultural groups, sports um, groups and clubs, disability and support services. And I see all of these people really having a positive influence on the future of Ballarat. Um, and, in, in, you know, in my view, it's absolutely vital that we continue to foster and promote volunteerism in, in, in all its forms. And, uh, you know, four marks of the Committee for Ballarat, Michael, and the Leadership Ballarat Program, that, that you know, that's what it's about. It's bringing out the, the younger generations and encouraging them to take on those those leadership The next roles. generation of our community oh, leaders. It's, it's yeah. critical. It's, yeah. it's absolutely critical. I'd, you know, relying on government, I just, I just, you know, and I've got friends in government. I'm not knocking their capability. It's not about their capability. It's just about, you know, ultimately I just don't think that they're, geared up to deliver the specific outcomes. You know, the government couldn't deliver Sovereign Hill and keep it going for 50 years without having to just continually tip into it. But that was something that was started by a community group and now it stands on its own two feet. I mean, how wonderful. Absolutely. It's one of the top six outdoor museums of the world. So, you know, it's tremendous. It's a great reference. Richard, I have one last question for you and it's uh, one that I ask at the end of our podcasts and indeed to anyone that I interview. But... uh, I wonder if you can finish this sentence for me. It all comes down to having a go, there you having go. a crack, having a crack. <laughs> I guess standing up tall and you know facing the problems head on, um, you know telling the truth and dealing with the issues, and and really, you know, not being afraid to go out there and have a go. Um, and, and, and there will be failures along the way. You know, I sit in this chair 23 years down the track. I've made failures, there's no doubt about it. But, you know, if you're focused on truly a good outcome, I think that carries you through and that ultimately gets you through and you get the support of other people as well behind you when you really focus on something that, that everybody wants to see delivered. Richard, our podcast is called Thought Leaders, Future Shapers. We've seen an insight today into a future shaper, and that is Richard Nicholson. You've inspired us with your thoughts. You've given us some real themes there around people and community that perhaps um, I wasn't wasn't um, wasn't thinking was going to come. Um, it's not necessarily something we associate with the building industry, but you've been able to draw the parallel very, very directly to to our community, the built environment in which we live in, and importantly, the people that are a part of that built environment. Thank you for sharing your insights today. We really appreciate your time. All the best with that little thing called Gubhub just down the road. Um, It's not far away and uh, we're looking forward to seeing uh, it come to life in uh, an even grander way. So on behalf of us all here, thank you very much for your time. Thanks. Pleasure to be here.